special day for us in the life of the church. This is a day that we celebrate, yes, what God has done in the last year, but that we also take a moment um, to vision cast. So this is like the State of the Union address for us as a church that's kind of broken up into two parts, and everybody needs a snack in the middle, so we have a meal in between that. Um, but we're really an all-encompassing today of this special day for us. Um, today is, is a celebration. It's, it's not just something that we have achieved, but it's an illustration of God's unmeasurable grace in our lives as Mission Church. Each year, around our birthday as a church, we take a moment to thank God and to remember what Jesus has done in our lives. We have named this Sunday Ebenezer Sunday. Now, raise your hand if your name's Ebenezer in here. All right, so it's an unpopular name. But it has a specific biblical understanding. We don't name it after someone. We name it for what it means in its original language. We name this Sunday every year Ebenezer Sunday, which is in a reference to 1 Samuel chapter 7. In the book of Samuel, we learn that after years of disobedience, the people of God, the Israelites, they have become extremely disobedient. They are depressed, they are living in darkness, and they are literally worshiping other gods. Do you get the strength of what we are saying in that statement? They are the chosen people of God. He has selected them out of all of the nations to be His nation and to be a light amongst the nations. And yet... They are finding themselves worshiping, bowing down to idols in their lives that are not Yahweh. They are not the one and true God. So what does God do in the book of Samuel? He sends Samuel the prophet. And after years of all this taking place, he calls these people, God's people, to a place of repentance. To turn from their evil, to turn from their darkness, to turn from their sin, and to follow after him, he calls them by grace and by grace alone that if they repented and turned their hearts once more to God, that they would once again be his people and that he would speak into them and do some very special things in their lives. Samuel calls them to repent in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 7. He, he calls them return to the Lord. He calls them to put away their foreign gods. He directs their hearts to God and he asks them to serve him. And guess what? By God's grace, the Israelites recognize their wretchedness and they turn from their evil ways and direct their attention back to God and are united with God as his people. And so what Samuel does is in that spot that repentance takes place is he takes a huge stone and he sets that stone up. And the name of that stone was Ebenezer which literally means, till now, the Lord has helped us, or the stone of help. This monument was a reminder of all who saw it, of God's redemption, God's help, and God's faithfulness, and God's love for His people. The Ebenezer stone represented a new beginning, a new course for them as God's people. See, just like the Israelites, we have a tendency, even as God's people, even as Mission Church, to forget God's provision, God's power, and God's purpose for our lives. We will focus on all that we don't have, and when we have been given an abundantly, 
Um, we, we miss out on those. We've been given way more than we could ever imagine or deserve. And this is why I think when we're looking through the Scripture that we must see all things, all things, God, your marriage, children, work, singleness, joy, suffering, church, authority, all of these things in view of something very spectacular, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, a gospel worldview totally should transform the way in which we see everything. Everything. We as believers should be able to find unity in the way that we experience different things and the way that we see things because we see it through the lens of the Scripture. I believe that our passage that we read today in Romans, and we'll read again here in just a moment, is very fitting for our celebration and also for casting vision for this next year. The book of Romans itself, I would conclude, is, is an Ebenezer stone. If you've been with us over the last two years as we've been working through the book of Romans, you have clearly seen we are in desperately need of repentance that we learn about early on in those first chapters that we are the totally depraved, wretched, dark, terrible. I can't describe. There aren't words to use enough to describe who we are and who people are apart from the person and work of Jesus. We are, and that's the question for today as we wrestle through this. See, in, in view of the gospel, God has called us to love. Look at this. Verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in these wor this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. See, Scripture reminds us that we are to love. Why? Because we have been loved first. Let's face it. We live in a culture of debt. And at the beginning of the year, what I probably should have done was broken down this and just preached on money today. And the reality of debt. I mean, even while we sit here, if you get online, you can watch that ticker going off of America's debt. Have you ever seen that? Don't watch it unless you just want to cry. I mean, because we live in a, we say this all the time, Laura and I, we'll drive by a big house and we'll go, they've either got a lot of money or they've got a ton of debt. And that's where a lot of people live in our time and in our place. Now, God doesn't necessarily have a problem with people borrowing money. But it is a problem when people aren't paying, when we don't pay our debt. And so I don't have time to go into all that today, but it would be definitely well worth our time. It says, um, oh, no one anything except what? Love. Love. We live in a place where millions of people are trillions of billions of gazillions of dollars in debt. And there's this guy that some of you probably listen to, and I have great respect for him, and he has taught me a lot. Um, Dave Ramsey, he's got the television show, all the books, all those sorts of things. If you're struggling with your finances, may we encourage you to get those books and to actually do them. It will change your life, okay? Um, but if you listen to Dave Ramsey's uh, television or radio show, a lot of times he'll have callers. And if you become debt-free, you can ask him questions. Anybody can. But a lot of times people will call him on air and, and scream out whenever he answers 
I'm debt free. I mean, they're just going ballistic. And they'll tell their story about like how by working at McDonald's, they were able to pay off $100,000 in a year. I mean, it's something drastic and dramatic, but it's always awesome. And I always get this really awesome feeling when I hear even somebody else go, man, I'm debt free. And they're screaming on the radio. And it's an awesome feeling. I'm jealous of that, right? He even makes this statement a lot. He says, um, you know, we need to live like no one else today so that we can live like no one else tomorrow. See, death is something you can become free of. I truly believe that for every one of us in this room. We can truly become financially uh, debt free. However, uh, we're reminded in this passage, though, um, that love for others is central to how the gospel is expressed in the world. So we can be monetarily and financially debt-free, and yet we are forever indebted to love. We're forever indebted to love, to take care of one another, to serve one another. See, the, the gospel is, is not about a life of legalism or... Um, Though we are called in our relationship and as disciples to live holy lives. And that's really difficult to understand where where those two ideas kind of um, cross or intersect. They're, They're kind of the antithesis of one another. And yet they meet and at that crossroads, the crossroads that is right there in the center or the crux of of the gathering of the people of God is this idea of love. See, love compels us. It motivates us. It unites us Um, because we have been shown love. We are forever indebted to love. We can lose everything. And yet we should not lose love if we truly have been saved by Jesus. See, God doesn't call us to love everything. Let's let's face it, we live in a culture where it gets really sticky when you start using the term love. Some of you have heard me say this before, but it's like, man, I love tacos, I love my wife, but my wife isn't a taco. I mean, this is really strange. They, there are different levels of this idea of love and the importance of it. And yet the scripture tells us, very pointed, even in this passage here, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not uh, no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. God tells us in several places throughout the, the New Testament and the Old Testament that we should have laser-pointed love toward two things. First is God. Second is everyone else. Notice who is not mentioned there. Is you. Is me. You know why? It is assumed, whether quietly or in an exuberant way, that every one of us are secretly, passionately, romantically, mentally, emotionally in love with ourselves above everyone else. If you have children, you should say amen. If you're a spouse unless you're a dude, you can say amen, all right? I mean, we illustrate this all the time because selfishness, even low self-esteem, is pride in a mask. It's love for self. It's edifying, trying to teach people and and to live a life where other people and other people-centered is the way to go is extremely, extremely difficult. 
Yet all of the law can be summed up in the passages where it says, even by Jesus, love God, love people. Love God with everything, with all your heart, your body, your mind, your soul, every bit of what makes up you. Love God with that. And love your neighbor as yourself. The thing is, is you don't get to choose who your neighbor is. So that term neighbor there means everyone. In the Old Testament, there are not just 10 big laws. There are 613 of them. All right? 613 of these laws. And yet Jesus, the gospel, the the inspiration of the Holy Spirit into the gospel writers, declares to us that all of those things, you can follow all 613 or you can follow one. Love God and love people. Mission Church, in view of God's love for us, He has called us to love one another and to love those who are far from God. Mission Church, I love you. I love the opportunity I have to serve as one of your pastors. Um, Personally, I've been very convicted this week that I don't tell you enough about how much that I love you and appreciate you. Many of you make it a priority to be here each and every week, and some of you visit less often than that. But I still love you. You come early to set up. You stay late to tear down. Pastor Justin and I, we were talking this week about how some of you, we were looking at a list and we were trying to look at how, um, who's in charge of what and where people are involved. And some of you are in every one of those categories. I love you. You're serving in everything, some of you. Uh, You serve in a variety of ways and um, you make sure and you have taken ownership of this ministry, and I cannot um, tell you enough how much I deeply love you. Also, with that, like the old proverb states, many hands make for light work. So thank you. Um, Thank you for making Mission Kids and Mission Toddlers. Thank you for taking that very seriously, those of you who serve there. These are our precious children whom we are called to disciple and to teach the gospel. Um, I pray that our children's ministry is one where students are not learning about legalism or license, but they're learning about the gospel. I realize that this is not always easy, because it's not easy for me to teach adults. It's not easy for me to teach you. And so I know it is not easy. I've worked in a school, all right? That's not easy. It's extremely Difficult to do this. Yet I can think of no greater calling for an area for you to serve. I want you to get this as one of your pastors. I am I'm convinced that what is taking place within that classroom right now is as important, if not more important, than what is taking place in this room. It is extremely serious to me. Extremely serious. If you are in that ministry, you should take it seriously. You, my daughter, is in that room. My son is in that room. My nieces and nephews are in that room. My adopted children are in that room. That's all your kids. I love those children. And it is extremely Important for us to make sure that we are looking at, we are partnering together to disciple those kids. And if you're serving in that ministry, man, thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you 
uh, for taking that serious and pastoring and pouring into those kids. It is an unbelievable opportunity that we have. This year, we have loved each other. We like to have babies here. Last two years have been filled with babies being born, and hopefully uh, many more will be born as well. Though the Llewellyns told me this week that's not happening for them. They said, not from us, Pastor. And so, uh, but I told them, hey, every church needs an Abraham and a Sarah. So uh, we are thankful God calls them on their lives. Here we go. We've seen lots of babies. We've seen a, a marriage take place. We've served one another countless meals. We've helped with uh, home projects and missional communities. And uh, one of the things, though, that I think that's been interesting for us as a church plant to go through um, has been the amount of loss that people have had in our church. Um, God has been teaching us as a very young toddler church and congregation how to handle great loss. Many of us in this room have, have lost a relative, an aunt, an uncle. Um, we've had grandparents pass away um, cousins pass away, and so it has been interesting to see what God is doing and teaching us through suffering. As a whole, I believe that we have loved each other well, but I pray um, that our love for one another will only increase. I pray that we become a community that it deeply loves one another and that our city will know that we are disciples because they witness the love that we have for one another. May the love for God and the love for each other triumph over sin, Satan, and death. May it not be a plastic, me-centered love, but a love that sacrificially gives. I pray that our love consumes people as they walk into our doors or into our homes, or our worship gatherings and missional communities. We will only be as successful as a church as our sacrificial love. Many of you know over the last few weeks has been really interesting for um, our family as well and the loss of our granny, Laura's um, grandmother, Kathy's and um, mom. And, but as well, as soon as we kind of got through that um, or had all of that, um, they put my mom in the hospital. My mom has um, congestive heart failure. And it's just been really interesting every day kind of seeing what's taking place with all of that. And so I went to see my mom um, the day after they, they put her in the hospital, and we were sitting there, and she's laying there in the hospital bed, and she takes me by my hand, and she gets teary-eyed, and I'm here to see my mom, right? And she takes me by the hand because sometimes the pastor needs pastoring, and out of nowhere, um, mom takes my hand, and she goes, Eric, I, I need you to know something. Um, she says, you have to love your church members, your church community, right where they are. Right where they are. Now, I was reminded by my mom just about the importance of love. I don't love a future version of my daughter Ava. I love her who she is and pray that God will increase who she is in Him. And in the same way, I, as one of your pastors, can't love a future version of you. But I have to love you exactly where you are. Praying, teaching, and discipling 
that God and, and hoping that God will do a great work in each and every one of us for the glory of God, for the good of us as His people, that He will work in and through the people of God in such a powerful way that transformation will take place in our lives. Man, forgive me when I've been consumed with um, how many, instead of how much love we can have. I was listening to a sermon this week by Francis Chan, and he said this, if you don't know who Francis Chan is, he's written several books. He started a church several years ago, and it grew to like 5,000 people. And in the midst of its heyday, felt like God called him to do something else. And this is one of the key factors that I heard him say this week. He said, I had 5,000 people coming to my church, but they did not love each other. Man, may it never be said of us. I can't make you love each other. And I can't make you love lost people. But I pray that God desperately does in each and every one of us. As we move forward, it's my prayer that we would be a community of faith centered in the gospel who love each other well. Um, I long to be a part of a group. This is a deep burning within me. I was even talking to Steve this week. We were having lunch together, and I was, I was like, man, I, I, I want, this is my heartbeat. I am yet to see it in 36 years of life, and I, I don't know if I will ever see it. Maybe this is the idea that Paul had, and it's being illustrated to me that he says he, he reaches out for the goal and never says that he's actually at the goal, but that he's constantly striving for something, for Christ's likeness and to be obedient to Jesus in everything that he does. And for me as a believer in Jesus, man, I have long, since Jesus converted me at the age of 19, I have longed to be a part of a type of community that goes all out for the kingdom of God that is extremely dedicated in, in serving one another and, and privately and in a public setting that they truly, truly love God with everything within them and they love each other and they lost a dying world. Man, I still have that vision. I still have that dream to live in such a way that our community and our lives as well are are completely reflection, a complete reflection of the person and work of Jesus in such a powerful way. I mean, I don't know about you. Maybe you've seen that. If you have, man, teach me, show me what you were doing and how you were praying during that time because that's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. I mean, I just don't want to do this church thing. All right? The question a lot of times that we get asked as church planners is how many unchurched people come to your church? And I usually respond with... None. We're in the South. Everybody has a home church, even if they've not been there 50 years. Well, that's my home church. I grew up, blah, 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 blah. Okay? And the thing is, it's like, man, I don't want to be a part of that congregation. I just don't want to be a part of a group of people that kind of sing some song, go through some motions, have some preaching and teaching, and give of an offering and go, man. We have encountered God. That's not the kind of people in church I want to be a part of. Man, I want to be a part of people who are dedicated Jesus privately and publicly. And that passion in view of Him and His gospel exudes out from us, unites us even in our diversity for the sake of the gospel. And man, I pray that Mission Church is that place today. 
I pray that we will live in the temptation of ministry. In the, excuse me. I pray that we will live in the trenches of ministry. And yet, I think this is our temptation. I think since Ava was in the womb, I have consistently read her the Bible. Prayed for her. I mean, I'm expecting her future husband to levitate into my house. Because I pray that he will be that glorious. And I was like, Ava, if he doesn't love Jesus more than your daddy loves Jesus, don't be bringing him in here. Because I will eat him. And spit him out. Okay? Don't be bringing some joker in here. So from early on, we have had biblical conversations. and, And the reality of the gospel has been in Abel. She has heard it. She's been around it. And when she went to kindergarten, we talked to her about mission and the spreading of the gospel. And, and Ava, a lot of times, would get, not in trouble, but had interesting conversations with teachers and with students because she was always talking about Jesus. December 25th, Christmas at school, was always really interesting us for as a family because Ava would be constantly talking not about a dude in a red suit, but about Jesus, because it's not about him, it's about Jesus. And so she would be going to school and telling all these people about the gospel, about Jesus. Hey, I don't want you to go to hell. And kids would be like, what's hell? And (laughs) I mean, really interesting. But this past week we had a conversation with Ava, because we've been talking to her about mission, the mission of God, about spreading the gospel. And this is what she said. I said, Ava, when's the last time you've shared the gospel with somebody? She said, Daddy, I'm scared. She said, I'm embarrassed by it. She's like, I'm afraid somebody will get mad at me. This grieves me. Because she's nine. But it grieves me even more because I don't believe that it's just a reflection of her, but I believe that it is a reflection of all of us who claim to be followers of Jesus. We're scared. We're embarrassed. And yet, what does Paul say in the book of Romans, chapter 1? I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power to save both all nations. It is the power of God. Even Jesus says, do not be ashamed of me. If you're ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. There is this calling within us of love and urgency to spread the gospel and to not be ashamed and to not be afraid. How can we be? The God of all creation is up ahead of us, leading us, building this church. The next section here in the book of Romans, it says in verse 11, read with me. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now um, than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, not in sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its 
desires. See, after discussing the importance of the law and the truth of the law and how that everything hinges on the love and how the law is fulfilled in love, Paul extorts us as believers here in this passage to wake up. To wake up. Look at it. Besides this, you know the time. The hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. What is he speaking here? He is speaking to people who make up churches who have become lethargic and lazy and slothful in their obedience to God. Your time is something we will never get back. This last couple of weeks, Laura and I have been looking over a lot of photo booth, uh, photo scrapbooks, whatever she calls it. Stuff where you write all over pictures and call it good. All right? Those things. And I can't tell you the countless number of times that I've had tears running down my face as I've looked at the, the baby and the toddler pictures of my own kids. Because literally, and I know old people say this, and I'm old, all right? It's in my beard. It goes by so fast. And seeing those little bucket-headed kids, and maybe your kids came out with six-packs, but my kids came out looking like the Michelin Man, both of them, for years, just roly-poly all over the place. Got more folds and rolls than a, you know, a bag of bread. And I'm looking at them now. And I go, man, I've missed. I missed that. Not that I've not been involved with my kids, but man, oh my gosh. Look at how time is leaving us. When we, as many of us, have lost loved ones in this last year, man, if we only had just... One more opportunity, one more time. Laura told me on many occasions with tears just rolling down her face, she's like, I just wish I had one more hug from my granny. I wish I just had one more time to hear her say, goodbye, I love you, you're a good one. I just wish I had one more moment. And yet, time is a precious gift that we can never get back. As a commentator put in the closing session, he says that Paul sets off an alarm clock to awaken believers who have gone to sleep spiritually. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it, for the time is near. We believers, Mission Church, we have a tendency to become spiritually lethargic. Have you ever noticed when a new believer comes to the faith in Jesus? They want to be involved in everything. They are excited about Jesus. They are excited about sharing the gospel. They are excited about being a part of a community of faith. And yet, what happens as they continue, as time goes on? See, I'm convinced that the oldest Christians in this room should be the most mature, the most spiritual. They should be sharing the gospel with the most people. That, that is often not what takes place within our congregations and churches. 
It's like you become a believer, you have a season of spiritual maturity, and you coast through the rest of your life. And yet this is not the cause of the gospel. We have fallen asleep. When those things take place, we are spiritually lethargic. Someone else will do it. All right? Or, or when a new member comes to our church, man, they're excited to be here. They're excited to hear these sermons. I love hearing well-known pastors and preachers at these conferences because they'll go, now, don't fall too much in love with me because on Sunday I'm going back to my church with, where everybody just thinks I'm so-and-so. You love me, but my congregation, I'm just Eric. The thing is, is for, for every one of us not to get caught up in personalities or, or certain things, but truly to be excited. Man, I, I want to be a part of a church that, that you have to unfollow them on Facebook because they won't stop talking about it. I want to be a part of a church that is so into one another that they are like Acts chapter 2 where they're meeting regularly. They're praying with each other. They're having communion with each other. And they deeply love each other. Not out of obligation, but out of a genuine, deep love that they have for one another. Why? Because they're seizing the opportunity. Like a person at a new job. We've all done this, right? You go start a new job. You're so excited. you got little butterflies. I mean, you dress all to the part that day. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. All. Yes, sir. No, sir. You're doing everything. Like you have a straight desk. Everything is lined up. You are doing awesome till year two. You forget the dress code. All right? You're taking pins when you leave. You're thinking, man, how do I do that thing on my computer where I can play a game and then hit a button all of a sudden and it goes to my work? All right, in case somebody walks in. I mean, these are all real things. Some of you are all like, oh, I'm going to look that up. All right, so when we look at these sorts of things, have you noticed that before? You just get lethargic. You get bored with it. You seek to uh, take the opportunity that you were once given because we can just coast and get the same paycheck. So why work twice as hard? When I get paid just the same to be lazy. May we stop that. Stop waiting to have an amazing life. Stop waiting to have an amazing relationship with Jesus. Stop waiting to have an amazing church. Stop waiting to have an amazing marriage and, and, and singleness and, and all of these sorts of things. Stop waiting Seize the day. Carpe diem. Seize this opportunity. Join into what God is doing in the world. Because, ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing more adventurous than living out the gospel without fear. I mean, I, I know this is strange, but, but like, what happens in here, do you believe it can still happen? Because I'm not convinced that we do. I'm not convinced. Yet that's what I long to see. Long to see that. I long to see on one preach, day of preaching the gospel, thousands of people, and I'm not talking about easy believism and just an emotional decision. I'm talking about genuine, sovereign salvation pouring out into thousands of people in the preaching of the gospel of one day. It happened in here. I long for the day that, that when God anoints that there can be somebody there that is sick and, and dying and the saints gather around them and to see them instantly healed. Not by those men and women. 
but by the power of God. And it happens in here. And this is the kind of church that I long to be a part of. One that reflects this. Love your spouse. Spend time with your kids. Put down the iPhone, the iPad. Go, 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 go. One day, as we have seen, you're going to lay in the hospital taking your last breath. You're going to regret all the time that you spent. You're never going to regret the time that you spent passionately living for the sake of the gospel. But you are going to regret all that time that you have wasted in front of the TV or social media. Singles. Stop wasting your singleness. Stop wasting it. Anybody that's married in here tells you marriage is awesome. But it is also trouble. It is also a weariness. It is a sanctifying thing. It is a beautiful thing. And yet it is a sanctifying thing because it reveals how selfish we are. It also keeps, even as Paul tells us in the book of Corinthians, a man, it keeps him separated from needing to serve his family and to fulfill all of his gospel duties. That he's constantly tore. I see this. I love going to Haiti. I love going on foreign mission trips. But I can't be completely there when I'm there. Because I'm thinking about home and longing for that. Until God places you with someone, stop wasting your singleness. You should have more money than you will ever have. Can I get an amen, gentlemen? All right. You should have more money than you would ever have as a single person. All right. You have more time to spend than anyone else. The, the best servants should be our single people that are gathered with us here at this church. Just don't waste it. Use it for the glory of God. It is a precious, precious gift. Believers, wake up. From our spiritual lethargy. And love our neighbors while we have the opportunity. This morning about 6 o'clock I was at Starbucks doing my thing. I, I tried not to read the news yesterday, but this morning I, I couldn't help it. And I got out, I was wearing my hat and kind of hunkered down because I started crying. Did you see this yesterday? This little girl in Nigeria. My daughter's age. Bomb strapped to her. Walks into a marketplace and kills 16 people. There's between 20 and 30 people now in the hospital as well who are injured. Because she was a child suicide bomber. You don't think it's time, folks? I can't imagine seeing my daughter with bombs strapped to her. Walking into a place purposefully to kill people. This is precious time that we live in. Church. It is better. It is better. It is better for us to go to your jobs. 
to go to foreign mission fields, to, to go to Nigeria, to that marketplace, it would be better for us to get on a plane this afternoon with a one-way ticket as many missionaries in the past of Christian history have done. They bought one-way tickets because they never expected to come back to this place of consumerism and, and lush and abundance, but they fully expect to give their lives in those places. Ladies and gentlemen, if you call yourself a believer in this place, it is so much better for us to go to those places, to go to our jobs, to go to foreign missions, to go to our neighborhoods and to die physically or relationally, emotionally, whatever it takes to die than it is to sit here with the gospel and rot. May we be a church that loves so much that we are willing to die. But I often wonder if Jesus would walk into many of our congregations, including this one, we have to ask ourselves, would he walk in and have to cover his nose and mouth at the stench of rotting Christians who are setting on the gospel while our world and our neighborhoods fall apart. Colossians 4.5 says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Ephesians 5.16 says, Making the best use of time because the days are evil. Ladies and gentlemen, May we understand, as Paul tells us even in this passage, that we are near to the return of Jesus today more than ever. Time, God's great sovereign clock that is ticking away. There is a day out there in which Jesus will return. There is a day out there in my future where I will cease to exist on this planet even more anymore and yet will forever be with Jesus. Time is ticking. Jesus is returning. May we not just look busy. May we be busy in the proclamation of the gospel. I can think of no other greater cause for us to give our lives to as members, as the people of Mission Church, than to give our lives to the person and work of Jesus for the sake of the gospel to the nations. As his word says, that the, the fields are white with harvest, but the laborers are few. May we pray, Lord Jesus, here am I. Send me to that place. Send me to that marketplace. Send me to that foreign land so that you will be glorified, lifted up. And then you do your work, Jesus. We have seen this, but my only prayer is that it will increase infinite fold. So today, may we celebrate all that God has done. All that God has done. The joy of our salvation. For me, from walking from a dark dorm room into the light of the gospel, may we joy and celebrate and honor God and thank Him for that. But may we never become complacent in, a, in a, an event or a one-time season long ago, but may we passionately plead and fast and give up and, and give up time, talent, treasure, all of these things so that the gospel will go forward. And I'm asking you today, will you come with me? Because ultimately I think that God is saying, will you come with me? It's His mission. It's 
His glory. And He is calling us like Samuel to repent, to turn to Him, to celebrate what God has done, but also to set our trajectory on a new course in a new way. Man, if we can't give testimony to what God has done this week, have we been with God? God is our gracious salvation, our loving kindness, our forever Savior. We love because we have been loved. And there is much love to share in this place and through our Gospel, through this Gospel. If you would today, I'm going to ask that you would stand with me. And as we sing today, we're going to sing some songs that are very reflective of things that we have talked about today. And I I know it's different while we're looking for a new worship pastor, but here's the thing. If you have a worship leader up here, everybody's looking at the screen anyway. So just look up there, pretend somebody's out in front of you, and sing to the glory of God. Alright? It's about Him anyway. So give, sing, meditate, wrestle. With the truth of God's Word today, we have been shown much love. So may we love much. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You, God, for this opportunity, God, to worship You in spirit and in truth, God. We are thankful for the love that we have been shown, God. So undeserving of this love, God. But we thank You, Father, for it. Lord, we thank You for Mission Church. Lord, we're thankful for what You have done in spite of us, God. I am shocked every Sunday when people actually show up to this because of your grace, Lord. You have done an almighty thing. God, we are so thankful. May you save many. May this be a year of salvation, a year of um, reconciliation, a year of redemption, a year of giving our all because your all was given to us through the person and work of Jesus. Do a great work, a great and mighty thing in our lives today and every day as a church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.